I'm sure you're all keenly aware of the fact and equally interested in the fact that today is Dominion Day. Well, apparently you are. And, uh, well, today is, uh, I am a Canadian, and July the 1st is Canada's July the 4th, and today is our national birthday, three days ahead of yours. In the calendar, but about a hundred years later, uh, in terms of centuries. So it's a, a great day for me to uh, come on my own, uh, the birthday of my own country and my own nation, and uh, really have a, a warm spot, though uh, apparently not many of you identify with that. I see several Canadians here this morning. I want to read a passage of scripture from the Gospel of St. John. It's chapter 4. The story is very familiar. Nevertheless, I am going to uh, take the time to read it through at least a good bit of it anyway. John chapter 4, and we'll begin our reading with verse 4. And I'm reading from the uh, New International Version. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, 
give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And we'll stop with the 29th verse of the fourth chapter of St. John's Gospel. Well, this is indeed a, a fascinating chapter. And it's one from which I am sure you have read yourself with great profit and relish. It's one that I am sure most of you, if you are biblically serious, have thought about and reflected upon many times. 
I wonder myself how many times I have spoken from this particular chapter and event in the life of our Lord. But I'd like to pick out a part of one verse that I read, and it took me a while till I got to it. Uh, and it's the verse around which I would like to center uh, my thoughts for this morning. It will not impress you, I am sure, as necessarily a significant part of the story. But in verse 28, we read these words. Then leaving or leaving behind her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And I got intrigued by that first part of verse 28. And this is my text. And leaving behind her water jar, What do people leave behind when they choose to follow Jesus Christ? A couple of years ago, I read a fascinating and humorous treatment, really not a treatment, an essay, that appeared in the InterVarsity magazine, his And it was in this trivia memorabilia section, at least they, till a few years ago, used to have in the middle of their magazine. And uh, this particular uh, essay dealt with the amazingly high number of things that were left behind in the various subway cars of New York City. And this particular fellow who worked with the Transit Commission was fascinated not only by the, the accumulated wealth of things that were left behind, and he added up in one month, he computed the value of things that were left behind to be in the realm of three to $400,000, things that were just left behind. And what intrigued him even more is the kinds of things that were left behind. Not only the traditional umbrellas and purses and wallets and uh, rubber boots, but he was amazed in one month, for instance, on one subway line in New York City, how many sets of false teeth were left behind? You know, I mean, you get on the subway and uh, there's these little click-clack things sitting beside you. I was amazed in one month how many ventriloquist dummies were left behind on the subway train. And I imagine... If you would make a visit to our own lost and found department, 
you would find the strangest assortment of things that have been left behind. As uh, students left school uh, about a month ago, and a visit to any lost and found department. In any school, in any store, in any office, people are always leaving things behind. And this woman from Samaria left behind her water pot. That's an extremely valuable thing to forget, given the fact that none of us are very seldomly far removed from any tap or spigot or water fountain, uh, water pots we might expect to see on the shelf of some museum, or perhaps if we make a visit to some oriental country. Let me remind you, in this particular age and in this particular culture, you couldn't go very far without your water pot. I wonder why she left it behind. I mean, we're not talking about something she could have slipped into her purse. We're not talking about something that you could put in your hip pocket. Maybe she left it behind because she felt Jesus needed it more than she did. After all, had he not asked for a drink of water to start off the conversation? Maybe she left it behind because she knew in her concern to get back to her people, to share with them what had just transpired in her life, she knew that a water pot would slow her down. I don't know the last time that you tried a hundred meter dash with a water pot on your shoulder, but I can guarantee it will be an impediment. Maybe she left it behind just because in the enthusiasm of the moment, she forgot about it. She left behind her water pot. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there were three other things that she also left behind. And it might just be that this morning someone here will uh, have to leave one of those things behind too. I would suggest to you in the first place that not only did she leave behind her water pot, not only did she leave her water pot at the feet of Jesus, but she left all of her sins at the feet of Jesus, too. She left those behind also. For you see, Jesus is here talking to a woman who's carrying two burdens. 
a burden on his shoulder and a burden on her heart. And I would believe that the burden that's on the inside is much heavier than the burden that's on the outside. A woman who has apparently up to this point Led, led a fairly independent life, apparently a kind of a wild life. I mean, Elizabeth Taylor and Zsa, Zsa Gabor got nothing on this one. Multiple marriages aren't novel to the Hollywood crowd. She had lived with five husbands, now was experimenting with number six. And in the midst of all of that, she was able to leave at the feet of Jesus not only her water pot, but all of the burdens of her sins. Now, if you ex ask me to explain that to you intellectually, I don't know how it happens. Uh, my colleague, Dr. McKinley, reminded us two weeks ago today of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man moves into Christ, he becomes, the old creature becomes a new creature. It's hard to rationally and intellectually explain, to scientifically explain salvation and conversion. But she left behind at the feet of Jesus the burden of her sins. At the cross, at the cross, the burden of my heart rolled away, said one of our hymn writers. And I'm wondering this morning in the midst of our summer school assembly, if before we leave this room, before you leave this room, Someone needs to leave behind, not a biology textbook, not a Spanish grammar, not your King James Version or your NIV Version, but you really need to leave behind at the feet of Jesus this morning all of your sins. Just leave them behind. Don't take them with you. And then there's a second thing that she left behind. Or a third, if we're counting the water pot as the first. She left behind a whole lot of religious knowledge 
And she took away in its place a knowledge of a personal Savior. Now, one of the reasons I read as extensively as I did to bring to your attention that this woman was extremely religious. I dare say that she knew her Old Testament better than you. Which some may be willing to say that's not saying much. It's interesting that people who adopt often a very wild and loose lifestyle at the same time are very religious. Have you ever noticed that? I see, uh, I see one of his daughters here. I don't know if the other one's here or not. But uh, a few years ago, uh, a year ago last June, we had graduate from this school in our, my own field, followed by the name of Bob Nelson. And he was telling me that there is a song that is number one on the charts of every alcoholic. He said, there, he said, I have not yet met an alcoholic who does not love to sing this song, especially uh, when they're down and out. Well, I wondered uh, what it be, would be. She'll be coming around the mountain. Uh, well, I... Uh, Interestingly, and I take Bob's word for it, having uh, had uh, a few relationships with uh, alcoholics myself, he tells me that the favorite song that they love to sing is when the saints go marching in. That's a song about heaven, isn't it? That's a song about the rapture of the church into the presence of Jesus Christ. And how interesting that rather than their favorite being, for he's a jolly good fellow, uh, their favorite should be when the saints go marching in. A beautiful song. A tremendous song. Well, this woman is extremely religious. She knows all the cliches. When Jesus says to her, he, she first says to him, well, how can you drink? And he says to her, woman, uh, I am greater than your father, and if, if you drink the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. And she's kind of surprised by that, and then just in the middle of the conversation, Jesus says, go call your husband, and she blushed. Talk about a change of conversation. They're talking about water, and all of a sudden, in the midst of it, Jesus says, go call your husband. I see you both down there now. And I believe that if one other person had been present, Jesus would not have said that. Jesus never embarrasses people. But when there's just two of you, you can put all your, shall I say it, you can put all your cards on the table. 
Well, I had it. You should put all your in. I something checked me, and I don't know what it was. Uh, That's why so many of Jesus' interviews in the New Testament are always when two are alone, Jesus with the woman, Jesus with Zacchaeus, Jesus with Nicodemus. Things you can talk about, paths you can follow when the two are by yourself and there's not a third person around. And so at this point, when Jesus says this, about bringing in the husband. She starts getting very religious and says, uh, Sir, I can perceive that you are a prophet. And then she goes on and she goes back and she mentally recalls her lecture notes from her prof, her Old Testament introduction. And she starts remembering her history and she says, Now let me ask you a question. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And the mountain that's referred to is a mountain up in the north, north of Jerusalem called Gerizim, G-E-R-I-Z-I-M, where the Samaritans had built a sanctuary to be an alternative to the temple in Jerusalem. And so she says, where are we to worship? Are we to worship on that mountain or are we to worship in Jerusalem? And not only does she know an awful lot about Jesus being a prophet, and not only does she know an awful lot about her history, is it this mountain, is it Jerusalem, she knows prophecy. She knows a Messiah is coming. I know, sir, that when the Messiah comes, she knows an awful lot of things. But there's a change, isn't there? If you had asked this woman in her life earlier to show you her religion, she would have said, come see this mountain. But after she meets Christ, she says, come see the man. I wonder this morning if your religion is wrapped up around mountains, or is it wrapped up around a man? And may I say gently but firmly, you are possibly not too far away in our Asbury milieu from having a religion that is limited to mountains. But you don't know the man. You don't know the man. You can sing the top three on the charts at Asbury as well as anybody. You love number 62 in your hymnal. Not this hymnal, the one that we use over there. Why do you all love to sing number 62? Number one on the charts. It's never been displaced. What's number 62? Frisky? Where's the chapel, Frisky? You don't know that either. All right. Uh, why do we all like to sing 62 number 62 because everybody when it's announced goes up claps or uh, does some kind of a noise John Roller why number 62 what is it 
Yep, tell me the title of it. Well, ask Sam beside you. Right. Isn't that the favorite at Asbury? At least in the years I've been here, all hail the power of Jesus' name with uh, N. Kennedy running a close second. And, and there may be some of you who uh, really uh, can, you know, you can sing those songs the best, along with the best, and you certainly know all of the, you know, the cliches. You know what to say, and you know when to say it, and you know what not to say, at least in public. You know, you conform to the image of an Asbarian very nicely. But inside, in your heart of hearts, you know that essentially what you've got is a, a religion of a mountain. You don't have a religion that's centered in a man. Jesus has never become your personal Lord and your personal Savior. And she left behind her theology in its place, okay. And she left behind the traditions in which she had been raised in their place, okay. But she took away something supremely better. And that is a knowledge of a personal Savior. Now there's a third or a fourth thing that she left behind. She left behind a spirit. She left behind a bitter spirit. A spirit of resentment. And she took away in its place a witnessing spirit. How do I know that? Well, if the traditional exegesis and exposition is correct, this woman comes in the middle of the day, at noon, right now, five minutes ago, to draw water. And you know that that's absolutely the worst time, for that's the hottest time of the day. One goes to the well either in early morning or after sunset. That's when you would find all of the ladies there. That's when you, if you want to get the latest town gossip or prayer requests, you would go to the well. Get out of the reservoir tonight at six. And you will miss nothing of what's going on in town. Ah, but you see, this woman, her presence is resented by the respectable ladies of town. Who, me, be caught in the same place with that tramp and temptress? So she has been shunned and ostracized and cut off from other people 
and forced to live in an island of her own. And let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, when people deliberately turn their back on you, it hurts. If you're walking down the street and you see someone walking to you and they cross the other side so they don't have to lower themselves to talk to you, that hurts. No one likes to be ignored. And the person who says, well, I don't mind being ignored is either A, a liar, or B, a vegetable. And there is this resentment that goes out against her fellow ladies of town who have said, we don't want to be in the same place with you at the same time. What about the macho males? interesting, she said, come see a man. She's known a lot of men in her life. And this man offered her a gift. And men before this had offered her gifts. But they're always strings attached. Or we will give you a, a gift, madam, if in return you will give us something. So not only women who had ignored her, but men who had abused her and used her. Now, how do you respond? What's your emotional response when someone uses you to get something they want for themselves? And there's a whole lot of resentment and bitterness and frustration. And she just leaves it all at the feet of Jesus. And in place of a resentful spirit, she takes away a witnessing spirit. For the conclusion to the story is she headed right back to town, knowing that she'd run into those ladies who said, you're not welcomed here. And she knew she'd run into those men who said, uh, Hi, sweetie, good to see you again. She went back to the town and said, No longer any resentment. No longer any bitterness. That's been left behind at the feet of Jesus. I want you to come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did.
and many believed on Jesus because of her witnessing spirit. So she left behind the water pot, but uh, she also left some other things behind too. Is there something in your life that you uh, need to leave behind before we end chapel? Something you need to leave at the feet of Jesus. And don't take it with you to the grill. Don't take it with you to your next class. Don't take it home with you to where you live. Leave it here. Leave it behind you at the feet of Jesus.